Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, those of you who watch us regularly know that um, we like to focus on issues that we think will be of interest to you uh, as well as of value to you. And we know that you can have one without the other. I understand that. So we, we shoot to to accomplish both those things in each of our shows. Um, and toward that end, we thought what better way to illustrate some important principles about estate planning than to use examples of people that you know probably have an interest in translation celebrities somebody that you probably have an interest in and use you know sometimes some of their good decisions but quite frankly we know mostly bad decisions are the ones that tend to get more attention and in many ways quite frankly are a better learning opportunity that just seems to be the way the world works so we thought, well, we should have somebody who's been helping us. She has helped us with research. She does some commenting on the material. So she's the perfect person to sort of lead us or direct us through this topic today and, and presumably top, some topics in the future. So Marley Parson, welcome aboard. Thank you. Um, so we will, I guess we'll start by introducing you to our subject today. And then we'll talk a little bit about where things went right and where they went wrong. So do you want to reveal our subject matter today? Yeah. So today we're going to be covering Heath Ledger and his estate plan. Um, I'm sure we are all familiar with Heath Ledger. Well, I wouldn't jump to that conclusion with this crowd. (laughs) So you could tell there's an age difference between me and Marley. So Marley's thinking it's impossible for you to live on this planet and not know about Heath Ledger. But you better, just on the possibility, talk a little bit about it. (laughs) Yeah, so he's an Australian actor. Um, He starred in movies such as 10 Things I Hate About You, um, Brokeback Mountain, and The Dark Knight, which was the 2008 one, Christopher Nolan's. Um, He was actually the Joker in that one, and that was one of his biggest hits. And that was a Batman movie. Yes, that's correct. And that went on to be real successful. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I mentioned 10 Things I Hate About You because a lot of people know that movie. So I was like, we might all be familiar with it also. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. I, I would I would think a lot of our audience, which um, I'm assuming you're all over 65. Uh, and I know that's not entirely true because some of you, we, we look at our stats, we look at our comments. So we know we pick up some younger younger viewers. Uh, but still, I like to kind of keep the thrust of my thinking whenever I'm introducing material as to what I think you know about. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning. Count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. Now, Keith, uh, or excuse me, Heath probably, 
He never lived to see the release of the Batman movie. He didn't. Um, I'm not certain what month it came out, but he actually died in January of 2008, a little bit before the release of the Batman movie. So tell us then, kind of set this up. He had done some estate planning. Yeah. So back in 2003, he had actually um, planned out his estate and his will then, and he had... um, given 50% of it to his two sisters and 50% of it to his parents. And then he kind of just left it from there. Um, And in 2005, he actually had his daughter, Matilda. And that was the first time he'd had a child. Yes, that's correct. And he didn't ever touch it um, up until, you know, he passed. So he didn't update any of his estate planning? not at all. Well, you know, that distribution plan, it, it makes sense. I mean, if we imagine if we don't have kids, what are we likely to want well if we have siblings we have parents that are living so he not surprisingly said well i'm going to do give half to my parents and half to my siblings and so he died at age i believe he was 28 yes wow that's young uh so but you know so let's give him credit here he he did this uh let me do the math so he's probably 33 Mm -hmm. when he does this will so, I mean, in fairness, how many of us had wills at age 33? I did, but I'm a lawyer. I wonder how many of you had wills at 33. I won't ask you this question. <laughs> You're probably not 33. but nope. <laughs> So the point is, it is a little impressive, I think. So we should give, give Heath credit for that. But um, he did go on to have a child, and the child was not born in wedlock, right? That's correct. um, She was born outside of wedlock and in the United States, and he actually executed his will in Australia. Wow. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So he has this child um, with a girlfriend and uh, with whom he was close at the time, but I think they later... They split up. It was Michelle Williams. Um, They met during the filming of Brokeback Mountain, and then um, they got pregnant, had Matilda, and they split up two months after um, her birth. So who is she? Is she famous? She is. She's a famous actress, but besides Brokeback Mountain, I can't honestly recall anything that I've seen her in, which other people may, and they may be yelling at me right now. But (laughs) (laughs) Probably not our crowd. Hey, I'm not picking on you all. This is me, too. I don't know these people. Um, so I'm impressed, though, with the fact that, you know, he really seemed to try to do the right thing. He uh, he took an interest in this child, right? Yes. And oh, yeah. He was very involved with this yes. child up until his death. They were very good co-parents. So maybe just another, what, a few years later? Wait, what was the—so he had the child in 05, and mm-hmm. what year did he die? Um, 08, so she was around two. Wow. So— uh, so we can all see how this can happen in estate planning. You know, it's 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 forgivable, though. I mean, ideally, we would want him to have gone back and done estate planning. That's the right thing to do. Uh, but we want to give him credit for what he did do. He did do some planning. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he just didn't update it when Matilda came along. So um, he does and did. Did they determine whether that was suicide or accidental? It was drugs, right? um, He actually overdosed on prescription medication. I don't believe they ever said it was a suicide. I think he just mixed some stuff that he shouldn't have and maybe took a little too much, but I don't believe they ever determined it to be suicide. So could it have been fentanyl? 
Possibly. Um, I couldn't, within my research, I, I wasn't able to find the medications that he was on. I don't think they released a whole lot about that, but I think that was um, some theories that they had. Yeah. Yeah. And, and fentanyl is this drug that has just incredible potential for overdose. I mean, it's so powerful. It's far more powerful than heroin. Um, I, when I was you know, younger and up until recent years, heroin was, you know, the worst thing out there because so many people died from it. It was so, you know, powerful. But then along came fentanyl in the last, I guess, 10 years or so. Yeah. And man, it's it's just, you can't predict. It's a synthetic drug. It's synthetic heroin. So it's not a natural drug. It's, it ends up being an opiate, like that whole family of morphine and whatnot, Demerol. But but it's synthetically made. So as I understand it, you don't need anything from an opium plant. Uh, so so this thing is created, and it's created kind of like, what's a good analogy? If you know some of these artificial sugars, how they can be, you know, like 30 times sweeter, you just want a little yes. bit of it, like 30 times sweeter than than the than the natural product. Well, that's it's kind of like that with uh, fentanyl. So we don't know that he was using that, but I'm just commenting on this because... If you know people who have died of drug overdoses in the last 10 years, I do, you know, it, through my church, several sons, two I can think of, died of a drug overdose in the last, 50, well, 10 years. And one I know, it was fentanyl, and, and he didn't intend. It wasn't a suicide. But at first it didn't clear when you hear somebody dying who probably, I'm going to jump to the conclusion, being an actor, that he probably was... A, prone to an emotional roller coaster. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he was struggling with some mental stuff, and that's why everybody threw in the suicide right when it happened. But um, I, I, you know, I don't think that it had been. I think it was just an accident. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. Um, so, uh, wow. So he's gone, and um, I'm in, now this is one of the several good parts of this story. So we should really appreciate the things that go right. And and so often, particularly in the practice of law, sometimes we see, you know, the the less impressive side of human nature. But sometimes you see the really good side of human nature. And I think that happened here. Because otherwise we have set up to inherit this asset based on the will of Parents, I guess both were still living? Both parents, that's correct. Okay. And then two sisters? Two sisters, um, Ashley and Olivia. And then Kim was his father and Lisa was his mother. Yeah, so his estate was somewhere in the neighborhood of what? Around $20 million. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's enough to live on. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's enough to live a long time on. If that, if that child or any person were to take $20 million and invested it, 10% interest, 200000 a year forever. And you can find 10% now. So if I'd said 10% interest three, four years ago, people said, no, no, best you can do is a, is a percent and a half. <laughs> but anyway, so, so it looks on the surface like because this will isn't updated that it's going to go to the parents and the sisters. But it didn't work out that way. 
Uh, t- tell me a little bit about what, what you know, and I'll throw a, in a little bit from a legal standpoint. Yeah, yeah. So um, it didn't look that way whenever he died. They had, you know, they were just going to go by the will and they were going to execute it that way to his sisters and um, his parents. And the family actually stepped back and they were like, this isn't fair. He never updated his will for his daughter. Um, and, you know, when you have a kid, it you kind of just get into all of that. You kind of forget things. So it's it's probably pretty easy to forget updating your will, um, which isn't good, but it's easy. It and happens. so they stepped back and as um, a family together, they decided they were going to go ahead and forfeit everything and give it to her and put all 20 million into a trust for her. And one thing that we've tried to figure out is um, is whether these these people who would otherwise inherit the property went ahead and completed the probate process. And, and it was awarded or it, they were announced to be the owners of this estate among the total of four individuals. But I don't think that it actually went that way for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that there is, and I can't speak specifically for New York, but it's not important for me to because the reason we do this is for you to see the relevance in, in for you and where you live. And Missouri, among a majority of states, have what's called a pre-termitted child um, pre- a statute. And pre-termitted just means that the person made a will, they didn't update it, and so the child was omitted by virtue of not being there when the will was made. So it could be that the person was married now if you have a pre-termitted spouse. Uh, but as to children, notoriously, that happens. So when it happens, the question becomes, does the child still get to inherit? And most statutes, as in Missouri, will hinge upon whether there's evidence that the the person intentionally excluded a child. So with pre, pre-termitted children, it's very unusual to see evidence that there was an intention to exclude the child. Now, you could have that evidence, even though it's not in the document. Say the document was made in 03, right? Mm-hmm. So it was 03, so you, it, certainly he could have commu- communicated in various ways his intention to have nothing to do with this child. Mm-hmm. And were there evidence to that effect, then this, this statute wouldn't kick in to save the interest of the child. Another thing about children that are not, uh, they don't like the word legitimate. The courts don't use that term anymore, born outside wedlock. But those children, in the old statute, you see the word bastard used. I mean, when you, oh, because it goodness. wasn't it wasn't intended to. It was a technical term. Yeah, and and that's what courts use for centuries. And you read these cases, and they they use this language, which is kind of jolting. Um, but the point was, if someone doesn't claim their parenthood, even if they are a parent, um, if they if they deliberately disclaim it in that example or they, they, uh, they don't have any even relationship at all, then it's probable that the child would not have a share. And, and the reason is that if somebody knows of a child and doesn't include a child, uh, there's evidence that it was intentional. So it's, it's a little bit murky, but I think you, you, you see the point. The statute wants to protect children in this situation. They want to protect a child. This one checks all the the boxes for a child that's not born in marriage. You have a guy who's acknowledged his paternity. This was prepared at this document. The will was prepared at a time he had no idea, of course, because it was prior to the birth. 
And there was no indication that he that he deliberately was choosing to not update his document. Um, and and we know that that by all all the testimony of everyone who knew him at the time, he was devoted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now that kind of leads me to a question, actually, that I was thinking of. So I guess my question is, if he hadn't been on the birth certificate, would it have applied the same way, even if he was involved with her and everything, or even vice versa, if he didn't want her in the estate, but he had been on the birth certificate, would they still be legally obligated to include uh, her? That's interesting. <laughs> uh, you raised the point about birth certificate. I'm glad you did that. Uh, a birth, a name on a birth certificate is not conclusive. Um, it creates a presumption of paternity, and I think that makes sense to all of us. Otherwise, you know, guys could be hoisted by, you know, their petards or whatever. If suddenly they have a relationship with someone, there's this child born, and the person chooses to name them or not name them, and if that were determinative, but it's not ultimately determinative. But it does create a presumption that's helpful. Okay. So in this case. That additional fact just shows that he was all in. Mm -hmm. He he supported it. He didn't oppose it, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. Uh, so so it is helpful if you're if you're wanting a child who isn't listed in a will to have a shot at a claim in an estate. If it was disclosed on the birth certificate, it's just more indication that the father knew about it. Okay. If there wasn't any interaction. Mm -hmm. So in this case, here's what I, I suspect this might have led to, and the reason this worked out as it did. I think that several things were going on. Number one, I don't question the good intentions of the parents and the sisters. I think that would, I, I believe, based on what I've read and what you've said, I think that that they would have done this anyway. Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, but I do think that, based on what I just mentioned, that the an attorney representing the child probably would have some claim, and uh, meaning that the, the there would be a case. Mm -hmm. And so in that case. It would be that the child, if he, if she were established as his child, which I think that could easily be done post mortem. But I don't think I don't think there being question about that. Mm -hmm. the, again, it helps that he's on the birth certificate, and it helps that he kind of adopted or ratified that yes, in yeah. many ways uh, by his behavior and mm -hmm. words to others. So I think really that in this case, the assets probably would have ended up in the hands of Matilda, or a guardian. But but here's the, the 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 result though of the particular path that this case took that I think is far better than that scenario. Uh, we've talked on this show about about a number of rich kids who was it Lisa Marie yes. Presley? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who now there was a will in that case, but it was kind of similar because when she was not much over the age of majority, that entire estate went into her hands. Mm -hmm. I think in her case it's age twenty five. But but in today in the vast majority of states, if there is not a will or if there's simply a will with no provision otherwise, then the assets will go entirely to that person when they reach the age of majority, which is going to be age eighteen in most states. So that's scary. I mean, think about it. This is twenty million now. So if if this had simply been her name in the will. If it had been that Keith knew about or Heath knew about her and still did not make a provision for a trust that would manage the money over her adult life or some good portion of it, then this would have simply been handed to this guardian. A guardian would be appointed, but this money would accumulate. By the time she's 18 years old, she gets a check in full 
for what 30 million at least maybe 40 because there's still incidentally some revenues that will come into his estate from work that he did so uh, let's say easily 40 million compounding and whatnot um, that's a scary thought and unless Matilda were a very very special child it would be disastrous for her in her life I mean it, it would let, she would be worse off than if she were not, I would argue, than if she were not given any money. Um, but as it turns out, I think that the parents uh, and the sisters probably, again, I think they would have done the right thing. I don't think this happened because of the law. I think they would have, everything indicates it. But I do want people to know that that there are saving statutes in a case that fits the criteria we've talked about, where you, you know the somebody can bring an action on the part of the child and if the court concludes it's his child as they would, then all of it would go to the child as opposed to the parents. Um, and, and it would go there under intestacy laws. So intestacy laws means you die intestate. That means it's kind of like without a will. In this case, there was a will, but it's overruled by this provision. So and the effect is that it's going to do what it would otherwise do. And in this case, it's going to go, all go to the child. So whether we're intestate or not, uh, that's going to be the result. Now, here's what, what happened that I think is a good thing. And I'm having to speculate here because we could you, you research some of this and we can't find this information. Mm-hmm. And the reason we can't find it is that that's one of the beauty of trust is that it can be entirely a private deal. So trust, unlike wills, Wills, we know everything that's in the estate, blah, blah, blah. We, we know all that because it has to be probated. Probated is public. There's not private probate. Probate, by definition, is public. But in this case, what I think happened, I think that, that after his death, the, the parents, the sisters, they talked to their lawyers. I think that the lawyers said, look, this, you know, this is probably what would happen if this goes to trial. I think that sisters and parents were all for this result. But what I think was savvy here is I'm told that there was actually a trust that was ultimately prepared. And I think this was done as part of a settlement. There's two ways this could have gone, at least two ways, two probable ways this could have gone. And one is very bad for the child, and one is very good for the child. So the very bad way is for the the people who would otherwise have taken under the will to disclaim. And if you disclaim, that that's where you have the right. If somebody's giving you a gift or you're inheriting something, guess what? You don't, by law, have to take it. Some people assume that if they give you a million dollars, you have to take it. Well, most people do and should, but, <laughs> but would you have to? And the good news is, and sometimes in estate planning, this is a real sophisticated strategy. That's a marvelous strategy because you maybe you want money to go directly to the next generation and you want to avoid taxes. So if you don't need the money, let's say that that you were you're in a position where you have savings and you have say a child and especially if your child had special needs or something you know that you don't want the money but you're thinking wow this would be great if I could have it go not be taxed to me or acknowledged to me but go directly to my my daughter. Mm-hmm. You could actually disclaim something and if she were the natural heir it's, this only works if she's the natural heir after you. So this would be, you'd have to be an only child. Yeah. Uh, but so 
in that situation, you just claim, and it, it's as if it went directly to them. So it was never in your hands. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of a perfect solution for some people. Mm-hmm. So in this case, uh, if that had happened, it's a bad solution. Um, because in this case, what would have happened would have been that that there would have been the re- the governing laws that said you you establish a guardian for a minor child, and in Missouri, a conservator conservator manages assets, guardian manages person. So for a child, these would be set up, and this conservator would manage the asset until the child reaches what I said a while ago, the age of majority, which is scary. It means it would have all been handed out to the child. And, and it's, uh, you know, I've seen so many bad things happen, but I won't go on about that. Um, that's one way that it could have gone. Um, now, in this way, what I think happened is I think that the family got together with someone, and I assume the mother, who is probably the representative of the child. Doesn't have to be, incidentally, if there people thought the, the parent would not be trusted or something. But in this case, the mother was involved. And so I think that they got together and agreed that rather than have the court bring the gavel down after a, you know, after a, either a contest or after the others had simply withdrawn, then then the court would have done what the law requires, which is that result I was describing to you. Instead, they get together and visit, and I think as part of the deal, the parents and the sisters said, "Look, we want to create a trust, and this is why." And we do know a trust was created. But we don't know the terms. Again, it's private. That's the, and that's the beauty of a trust. If you're if you're the one who is either creating it or a beneficiary, so in this case we don't know that. But I'm willing to bet that that their lawyers probably had good lawyers, the the parents and sisters, maybe the same lawyer, and said, "Look, this should not be in the hands of this child at 18. As a matter of fact, this should not be in the hands of this child at 25. It this should be available to help the child over their life." You know, maybe liberally, even um, generously, but still ultimately in the control of the trust, the trustee, and and as a result, this child can make a lot of mistakes without forfeiting their fortune. Yes. So, if they file bankruptcy, guess what? It can't touch this this trust. Uh, if they make some bad decisions in marriage, as Lisa Marie did, uh, Presley, um, then that that is immune. I mean, this is a this is like a safe. It's a safe in which protects this child's financial security for the balance of her life, the balance of her life. And she'll still live well. And it would give an incentive for her to maybe get a job. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can you can make the terms, you make the terms as good and generous as you want, or you can say in, that in your trust that you want the trustee to encourage employment. You can say you want the trustee to encourage education. Mm-hmm. So- you know, you it, it's just a marvelous tool. So I think that's what happened here. Is I think the parents and the sisters said, look, we're all in for, for what probably would happen anyway if there's litigation. Um, but but we want there to be a trust created and we want to head off what what's gonna happen if we don't if we don't reach some conscious decision here to make this happen. Because once it's done that way, then everybody can sign on to the deal and, and the judge will cooperate with that settlement. Um, so you can do things that way that the court wouldn't otherwise have the authority to do. So this is this is a happy ending uh, from a situation that could have gone 
much worse. Yes. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. And I think they really set her up for success doing that also, like you were talking about, um, because I tried to find a couple of things on Matilda on like social media and everything like that. And we I really can't find a whole lot, honestly, which to me, as uh, somebody who's a little bit younger, says a lot because we're all on social media. We're says all says something good. Doesn't yes. It? Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. How old would Matilda be? She'd be around 20, I believe, if I did that math correctly. So that says something. If she's around 20 and she's pretty off social media, I think that's really important. And I think they're really doing a lot of things for her. Yeah. Let's say 18 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I didn't I, I didn't really think about that till yeah. now. Um, so she would be at the point where she could have been getting this huge check. Yeah. Oh, I would love to know the terms of that trust, but I, I would bet they're good. Yeah, because I feel like a story would have come out with saying something about how she received the trust if she was getting to that age and saying how she received, you know, the 20, 40 million, whatever it may be now. Um, but I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find a whole lot on her. So I think they definitely just you know, put her at the forefront of everything and really wanted to protect her and secure her life. Yeah, Heath would be smiling. Oh, yeah. Uh, to know that that uh, she was well taken mm-hmm. care of. Uh, I guess, is, is his parents still living? They would be. Cause... Yeah, they. I believe they are. I don't believe either of them have passed, and I believe both of the sisters are still living as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you would... Uh, an adult. Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah. So you haven't even seen a picture of her. No, I couldn't really find a whole lot. I mean, I looked up Michelle Williams and you know pictures with Matilda. I couldn't find much. So I don't know. I, I don't think she disappeared off the face of the planet. But I think they just definitely put protecting her at you know the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Um, that's good. And one of the issues would have been whether the mother should be the trustee. We don't know that either. Mm-hmm. Um, and that information, you know, people who are dealing with uh, with a, a bank or a financial institution, they're entitled to know things like that. But the terms of the trust, distribution terms, et cetera, are things that, you know, no one has to disclose and rarely do mm-hmm. they voluntarily. Uh, but in this case, I suspect that the mother might have wanted to be the trustee. So that could have been a little bit of a rough spot. Yeah. So we don't know how that was ultimately worked out. But I would think it'd be better if it wasn't the mother. Mm-hmm. Although uh, Priscilla Presley really did a great job managing Elvis's estate. Priscilla and somebody else, one or two other people, were essentially co-trustees over a period of how old would Lisa Marie been at his death? She was young, so maybe she was. Let, let's say she was eight or nine mm-hmm. or younger. So that that means that they at they turned what was not apparent to anybody that you could create a virtually an industry based on Elvis. Yeah, oh, I yeah. mean, no one that had never been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beatles aren't dead, so that's not an example. It had never been done before. So um, little did anybody know, and in fairness, I'm sure Priscilla didn't know, that, that there was actually the potential to build this huge organization that would produce hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And here, 50 years later, is producing that kind of money. It's amazing to me. that, that and, and Elvis would have been more amazed than anybody, I suspect, that he had that level of power 
uh, or influence mm-hmm. or uh, you know his his talent. I think I think a lot of it was charisma. But, yes. Oh, but yeah. but he, I, I'm I'm a bit of a fan of Elvis. <laughs> You uh, that, does anybody your generation listen to Elvis? I all? still do, but my mom's a huge fan. So really, but but you <laughs> yes. you've listened to him very familiar. Oh yes, okay. <laughs> Probably can't avoid it around the house. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so uh, so there are stories though where a mother comes in like Priscilla. She was incredible in terms of what she accomplished. I mean, she protected that that house to become a, a place where people would pay tour. And I don't know how much money it generates a year, but it's a ton of money. And it's still a very popular tourist destination. I haven't toured it. My wife has toured it. Um, and Graceland. 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 Yep. So she's the one who, you know, very zealously protected his trademarks, copyrights, and collected a ton of money through people paying to use his likeness for various things um it she really did a marvelous job but the but the way that the the will was set up um and i'm sure elvis didn't think much about this i'm sure he didn't think he would die young yes none of us do so he made a provision that she would get it at age 25 which if you think about it, it could be worse it could be what we were talking about a few minutes ago it could have been age 18 uh so we ought to give elvis a little credit but I think if Elvis had thought there was any significant chance that he was going to die much younger, I know that he would have had the judgment to have thought, no, this is not a good idea. But he didn't know how big it was going to be. He couldn't have known that. And, uh, and of course, he couldn't have anticipated dying as young as he no, did. No, I don't think anybody does. And yeah. sometimes I know you're saying 18 is a bad age, but I was kind of laughing in my head because I was like, you turn 18 and then all the way to 25, you have time to dig yourself into a lot of debt. Uh, so <laughs> if you, you get it at 25, that might be worse off. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, you're right. It's, And that's the reason that, that and we'll kind of close with this point, is that there is no single right answer to how when you do your estate planning as to how you when you create a trust, as we're assuming if you listen to us, you do, uh, as to what particular distribution plan you have. But but I think that a lot of people thought that they were really guarding against that youthful um, uh, errors or waywardness that often produces poor decisions when you're young, they, they, they feel they're adequately allowing for that to say, well, I want to have half of it given at age 30 and, and half at, say, half at 25 and half at 30, or, or I'll see sometimes a third at 25, a third at 30, a third at 35. I'm not saying that's a terrible idea. It's certainly better in my judgment than all at 25, but I, I don't, I don't depend on the amount of money. Now, granted, I should... I should make that adjustment. You know, we're we're talking here more about people who have larger amounts of money. So I, I for them, I'll focus in making this remark. When it's enough money that you think after it accumulates in compounds, allow for that. Don't assume the amount of money that you're looking at leaving, you know, in the near future will be the money that you'll be talking about 10 years later. So for people who have a significant amount of money, I don't think that you have to think in terms of a third and a third and a third. Uh, you can instead think in terms of, you know, what are the child's reasonable needs? You can tell the trustee to be generous. Um, you can put in lots of language that allows the person to live well if they want to, and yet never have it all dumped in an account, whether it's age 25, 30, or 35. Incidentally, when is a divorce most likely to happen? 
I can tell you between 35 and 40 is a very common period for people who've had, you know, substantial marriages, they have children, and this is as a, you know, a, a former divorce lawyer. Uh, I can tell you that to think that you give it to them at age 35 protects it. I can tell you that money's going to go into probably a joint account. And even if it doesn't go into a joint account, it's probably not going to be managed with sufficient meticulous care so that you can assure yourselves that it won't become marital. So if you commingle money, if you put it in an account where you put your own paycheck, for example, or you put money that certainly the other person had, or or you sell, you know, you, you sell a car that was a marital asset, you dump that money unthinkingly into this separate account. You can just very easily, unless you're almost a CPA, you're probably not going to, your loved one will not manage that with sufficient care to protect it from the reaches of an aggressive divorce lawyer. One of the lessons we, we need to think about here is, is paying out money when it should be. Uh, we don't know that it tells on the trust, but I'm willing to bet that it's they're probably good. Um, and this child hopefully will have a long and and at least whatever her worries in life, we hope they won't relate to money. Yes, yes. So, so this was a this wasn't one of those examples where it's just it's one tragic. long bad train wreck. <laughs> Although we will give you train wrecks. Yes. Uh, oddly enough, those are the things people tend to remember. <laughs> so, uh, Marley, thank you for that. Yeah. Good research. Thank you. Uh, so we look forward to having you come back and and lead us in discussing some of these things. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.